0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with licensed marriage and family therapist Shereen Pekar about divorce, co-parenting, and narcissistic abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. I am Brandon Chadwick. And today, everyone, we have a special guest. We have a, a licensed therapist who specializes in narcissistic abuse and divorce. Her name is Shireen Pekar. Thank you for showing up today.
1: Thank you, Chad. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: And if anyone wants to reach uh, Shireen, uh, she has a website, talkwithshireen.com. And that is, uh, her name is spelled S-H-I-R-I-N. That's talkwithshireen.com. Uh, her Instagram is at let's underscore talk underscore divorce. And her Facebook page is facebook.com slash talkwithshireen. And that again is S H I R i n and once again thank you for being on the show and how are you doing
1: i'm doing great I'm so excited to get into all these fabulous questions.
0: Yes, and uh, everyone uh, for a while has been asking uh, to get someone uh, with your background on the show, and you—we uh, both mm-hmm. got in t- touch with each other, and I was thrilled because I didn't have to look around, and <laughs> we just kind of met that one day. So, yeah. um, just for everyone out there, give us a little bit of background about uh, who you are and your practice, uh, and you're also in California, correct?
1: Yes, I am a licensed MFT, Marriage and Family Therapist. I'm also an online coach, and my private practice is in Los Angeles, California. Um, I have been seeing clients for the past 10 years, um, licensed for five. And um, initially, you know, I began seeing clients, and uh, I was a therapist, and I met my narcissist. We got married. We were together uh, eight years and um, we, we divorced when my son was about eight months old, and shortly after that, I learned um, about narcissistic abuse because it was so different than the, the way that I had learned about it in school. You know, I, I had such a different understanding and so, um, so now my practice is primarily narcissistic abuse clients. I do couples therapy from a Gottman model, and I am also well versed in Rye Educaring, which is about mindful, respectful parenting.
0: Okay. Thank you. And for anyone out out there that doesn't understand uh, what she is, I encourage you to look uh, all that up. I will after uh, the show. (laughs) Uh, um, So uh, I guess before we begin, uh, we discussed that we would want to maybe define uh, what narcissism uh, is. So if you could, uh, you know, educate us.
1: Yeah, so narcissism is actually a personality disorder. However, it's a little confusing because we all need some narcissism to be, um, you know, somebody that could advocate for ourselves. And in order to have sort of high self-esteem and be able to put our needs sometimes before others, we need to have some narcissism. So I'd like to always look at it as like a spectrum. So on the left, if we have the healthy narcissism, again, we have a good self-esteem. Um, we ha- we're able to advocate for ourselves. We're motivated. We're ambitious, but we're, we're not doing things at the cost of others. We're confident, again, without needing to bash others or put people down. And we're able to exert our opinions in a respectful way. And then on the other side of the spectrum where we have the unhealthy pathological like DSM criteria of a narcissistic personality disorder where it's unhealthy narcissism we have a lack of empathy we have a lack of accountability and responsibility when we do hurt other people Um, we're never sorry we have this intense need for control and power there's a sense of grandiosity and superiority over other people Um, We're selfish, you know, if we're on this end of the spectrum. We're vain. We're very concerned with our looks or our outer representation of ourselves. Um, We put on a really good show to make everyone think that we're this amazing, superior person. um, And we need, like, constant affirmation and attention and admiration from everyone. And there's this sense of um, entitlement um, a lot of the behaviors under narcissism is like manipulation, it's gaslighting, it's projection. These people tend to be very emotionally cold. And um, they have, you know, very poor boundaries and they have disrespect for other people's boundaries. And even in this end in the spectrum, it can be a little difficult because to note because sometimes there's the covert narcissist that has more of like the quiet, shy, reserved... Um, vulnerable at times, you know, they're able to mirror empathy really well. Um, They could be altruistic and actually appear very different than the overt narcissist, which is like sort of an obnoxious, obvious um, sense of like grandiosity and they talk all about themselves. They're they're like the attention whores, you know, Um, these people are very aggressive and they have an extreme need for attention and the overt, are the ones that you're very, um, you're you're able to spot them way more than the covert. The covert really shocks people over time because they tend to then get into this um, dynamic of being able to be a completely different person when the mask drops. So I think it's important to note um, that these are all, you know, symptoms and behaviors of narcissism because it's such a, a word that's thrown out at everyone that's sort of difficult. But I wanted to make sure that everyone understands what a narcissist really looks like and to note that there's people that are on the spectrum that could be anywhere on that spectrum from healthy to extremely unhealthy and dangerous.
0: Okay. And while you were saying that, um, of the list of questions that people have given us. And I, I was, mm-hmm. I'm not going to give a shout out to anyone who asked these questions, just for anon- mm-hmm. anonymity's sake. But the first question mm-hmm. I'm, a- I'm actually asking because uh, it just popped in my head while you were uh, uh, talking about that, uh, mm. and it's not on our list, and it is. Uh, Something that I I get asked actually a lot is, does the narcissist uh, know uh, what they're actually doing or is this something that they are – so naturally ingrained in them that they're just doing it. Uh, I know uh, when I've been speaking lately on forum boards with uh, people that have sociopathy, uh, I can't even say it, sociopathy, Uh, I know the ones that I've been speaking to are very self-aware. So uh, um, are you able to, because a lot of people have that question, uh, do they know what they're doing or is it something they can't control?
1: So it's interesting because the answer to that is a yes and a no. So they may know what they're doing, but they really don't care. They don't give a shit, right? Essentially, it's just me, me, me. This is how I am. But even if you were to show them that, look, you're you're cold, you're not taking responsibility, they would never admit that. So there's no way to really know, like, do they know? Do they not know? It's really all just a facade anyways, right? Right. And so even if there was some sense of them confirming that they know they're doing something wrong or they're apologetic for something that they're doing, it's not really even authentic, right? So they've learned that this is the the way that they have to be and it serves them and they don't care how it affects anyone else. Does Uh, that make sense?
0: Yeah. Just like, uh, you know, I'm a codependent human being and I was acting and reacting my whole entire life. I didn't mm-hmm. understand kind of what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. when things didn't work for me anymore, like an event happened that happened like for the yeah. fourth time, I finally said, yeah. why does this keep on happening? And then when it kept on happening, I wanted to change, um, mm-hmm. which leads me into the next question. Uh, the first question from actual people, which is, yeah. uh, can, uh, you know, uh, can a narcissist change, be cured ever or how?
1: Well, so this brought up um, an interesting thing for me because it's almost like every single person, the first question they have is this, is basically they want to say, is there hope for this narcissist to be different? And I mean, narcissists aside, as individuals, we really need to be aware and we need to have insight and we also have to be accountable to be able to sit with the fact that we've done something wrong or the way that we're behaving in the world is problematic, but narcissists by nature, they can't do this. And this is again, speaking to the spectrum. So there's a spectrum, like I said, and if they're on one end of the spectrum and it's really, really deep and intense and ingrained and they have zero awareness, then absolutely there's zero chance of change. But if they're more in the middle you know, of that spectrum, then there might be a slight chance that things could shift a little bit. But I think essentially what people want is a very different person that's warm, that's human like, that cares, that has empathy, that is remorseful. um, And that, you know, essentially their personality will change. But the thing with narcissistic personality disorder is that It's working for them. They don't want to change. And 99% of the time, the personality is very deep embedded. It's deeply embedded in them, and it doesn't change. So most of the time, the answer is no. There is no cure. They don't change. Um, And especially if there's no awareness or insight, it's an absolutely no and that's a really hard place to be in when you're on the on the other side of that relationship, to be able to accept that it won't happen. Um, and I want to speak to the rescue fantasy that you know often people have when they're in relationship with a narcissist, and because there are glimpses of that ideal behavior that you want to see in them. So at times they will be really vulnerable, and they can feel, it can't feel like you're connected and the times are really, really good. So I remember that. I remember saying, you know, to someone when I was married, like, it's really, really good when it's good, but when it's bad, it's really, really bad. And so those times that are really, really good are the times that keep us hooked because it's there. It's just, it's almost like a ghost that you want to, you know, grab, but your hands, it's, it, you can't grasp it. Right. And that glimpse won't ever become the entire relationship. So even if there's times that they're being nice and human-like and things are really, really good, you know, it doesn't mean that there's hope for things to be different, you know, essentially the rest of the 99% of the time that things are bad, right? We can't, we can't imagine that just because, well, how do I say this? We can't expect that just because there are glimpses that that could become the entire relationship.
0: Yeah, I like to compare uh, the relationship to drug addiction. And, yes, and, exactly. And um, the first That's time, right. you know, you're always chasing the high of the first time, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, you hit that peak the first time, and then you dip down, and then you're oh, you, know, you get this high, but it's not as good as the first yeah. time, and it keeps on this downward shift um mm-hmm. and you're always chasing it and uh you're hooked mm-hmm. and eventually you right. have to get you have to quit and you have to go mm-hmm. you have to go into rehab
1: That's right. That's right. And it's it's so it's so hard because they again show you what it could be and that gives you hope, right? And it's just it's really a hard place to be in when you have to accept that it's not going to be any different. And that you, you're you the only one that needs to create this change. And that's by letting go of your, your drug, right? Yeah.
0: So uh, the next question we have, um, I, I'm going to ask question five before question three, which is for a lot of people, and I spoke to someone this week. I've been trying to help someone this week get uh, help uh, in the town that they're in. Um, and it turns out when I was calling a lot of places, uh, for them, it turns out this person had been contacting them before and actually had gone in twice and they were having trouble breaking free, uh, from their mm-hmm. narcissist. They were having, uh, I guess, abused, uh, partner or abused woman's uh, syndrome, uh, where they'd gone away, come back, gone away, come back. So how does someone right. break away, uh, free for good in, in your opinion?
1: So first, I think it's really important to learn about the cycle of abuse that tends to happen with a narcissist. And what that tends to look like is that, you know, you're in relationship with the narcissist and things are going okay, and then the, this, the narcissist has this perceived threat of some sort that's either imagined or it could really be happening. And they lash out. So, for example, they feel like they're losing control. They lash out, and then they abuse you in some way. And what you tend to do naturally is is defend yourself, right? And when you're defending yourself, the narcissist uses that time to then become the victim. And what we tend to do, which keeps the cycle going, is then we go, oh, yeah, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. And we take responsibility for what may not even really be ours. And we play into this projection, right? And so what we do is then they feel empowered because we're saying, yeah, you know, I shouldn't have done that or I could see, you know, because we're empathetic people, right? And so when we play into that, then they feel empowered and they're like, yeah, okay. Then they get bolder. And they feel more entitled because that fed their ego. They feel stronger. And so what tends to happen is then the lows become become more intense. And then there's shorter time between, you know, that honeymoon and the blow up, right? And so what's really important for you to to know when you're breaking through, breaking free from this cycle is to become mindful of your part in the cycle and to be aware that it's playing out. So don't engage in that and taking part. You know, simultaneously, you got to work on strengthening yourself, especially during those modes where they're pressing on your triggers, right? So if your trigger is abandonment, for example, during the, you know, the time where they feel threatened, they're going to threaten abandoning you, right? And so you have to be mindful of what's happening and not play into that, And so an important piece of breaking free is going no contact so that you don't get sucked into this drug. Right. Um, They know, they know your buttons and they know what to do and they'll, they'll use them against you. So it's really important to go as little to no contact, especially if you share children, you know, I know that you have to go limited contact, but try to have it be through um, text or through email. You know, if, if it's a custody battle, you want to always have things um, written down. So you never really want to talk about things with a narcissist, especially if you have children that, you know, may end up taking you to court. So it's really important to go no contact so that you can get into your healing, um, or else it's very easy to get sucked back into the dynamic with them, especially when they're in their mode of hoovering where they're trying to, you know, get you back. They'll tell you everything you want to hear. They'll be vulnerable. They'll cry. They'll apologize. They'll, you know, they'll go to any any lengths to get what they want.
0: So, uh, listening to your answer there, one thing I took out of it was awareness of your own actions, and it's something yes. uh, I take responsibility for in in my life of uh, how I have to. Uh, Be aware of what I'm doing and how I'm acting and reacting to people. Uh, And Mm -hmm. awareness being a very big key uh, to certain things. Are there awareness practices that you give people or uh, maybe a book that they can read about learning this? Because I think this might be like a key for a lot of people. Once they become aware of what they're doing themselves, it makes them stronger maybe to move um, out of certain situations.
1: Yeah, so this is a little bit off topic from narcissistic abuse, okay. but I think a really important book for becoming aware of our stuff is the book called "Reinventing Your Life" by Dr. Jeffrey Young. And it's actually one of the way one of the tools that I use for my clients in therapy because what it does is it brings our schemas up. We and schemas are basically ways that we have developed an understanding of relationships, of people, um, and there he's come up with 16 essential schemas. And what I've noticed is that people with certain schemas tend to attract um, narcissistic people who have who score high on the entitlement schema. So the people that score high in for example abandonment, subjugation, and self sacrifice are the people that tend to be the perfect magnet for people who are entitled, um, who have that schema, which is basically narcissist. And so um, I highly suggest that book because what it'll do is it will, it's basically a little therapist in a book is what it is. It'll bring, there's a quiz in there and it'll bring up your high scores of your high schemas, and then it'll tell you even what to do if you scored high in those certain schemas. And um, it's a really great adjunct to therapy, but even if you can't afford therapy, it's a really good place to go to that'll bring a lot of awareness of your own schemas up. So I highly suggest that book.
0: I'm going to buy that book myself right after we get off mm-hmm. this call.
1: Very good.
0: <laughs> um, so question, I think we're on question three, and that is what are three tips you'd give uh, to those recovering from narcissistic abuse after cutting ties?
1: This is such an important question, and I'm so grateful for this question because this is really what sets apart the individuals who Re basically recreate another narcissistic relationship um, versus the people that really break those patterns. So the way that I break it down is I go into the past, I go into the present, and I and I deal with the future. Right. So, again, initially, what you want to do is I highly suggest no contact initially, and if you are having to contact the narcissist, still keep it in writing. Um, get one of those apps like Our Family Wizard or Talking Parents and, you know, communicate through there Um, because, again, the narcissist has such a mysterious way of being that it's very easy to get sucked back into that drug if you're still having uh, contact with them. So she says three tips for those recovering from narcissistic abuse after cutting ties. So, Initially, you want to go into the past as part of your healing. Um, Take time to heal, which means that you want to really do a relationship cleanse. I encourage people to, I actually had a client who would call it a man cleanse. So, you know, you just sort of don't date for a while until you've processed your healing because then what happens is we take those Residual um, unresolved stuff and we take them into our next relationship and a lot of times if we're not doing the healing that's necessary after a relationship with a narcissist again we will will attract another one. So what you want to do during this time is to become aware from your past. Become aware of your past and look into your childhood and your parents and your upbringing and really reflect on what in my childhood set me up for this kind of relationship? And become aware of these the traits of the narcissist that you're dealing with. So if you had a narcissist who really lacked empathy, think about who in your life from the past was someone who really lacked empathy. Was it a mo- your mother? Was it your father? Um, and process that and think about that and, and become aware of how this person was just basically a continuation of someone from your past. So, another part of this, the past healing, is to reflect on the question of how was I a magnet for this person, for the narcissist? Um, did I have trouble with boundaries? You know, a lot of times people with the self sacrifice and subjugation schemas, they tend to um, put aside their needs out of fear, you know, of retaliation or. You know, we have issues with assertiveness. So reflect on, you know, your boundaries. Reflect on your self-love and acceptance and your level of confidence. Um, Because a lot of times when we're in a relationship with a narcissist, we, A, probably didn't have the best sense of self and relationship with ourselves. Um, We probably didn't love ourselves very much. And so we got into a relationship with someone that also not only didn't really love us and see us in the best light, but they also tend to take any self-love and self-esteem you have and trample on it um, because that gives them that feeling of power and superiority. So you really want to work on things like boundaries, your self-love, Um, fear. A lot of times when we have a fear of being alone or being single, we'll settle for someone like a narcissist. And um, the idea of the rescue fantasy, work on that. Because what that tells me a lot of times is that we had to be Um, in an early early role of being a caregiver. Or we had parents maybe that needed us to rescue them. Maybe they were unavailable or inconsistent or maybe they were narcissists. You know, so that's a big part of healing the past. Now as we go into the present, this is all part of healing still. It's a lot. The present will have a lot of emotional ups and downs. So, Normally, a lot of the symptoms of narcissistic abuse, you know, we we tend to have uh, self-doubt, confusion. We feel helpless and hopeless. A lot of anxiety and symptoms of depression, Um, shame. We're probably emotionally exhausted, uh, emotionally and um, mentally exhausted. There's uh, a lack of joy in our lives. You know, we're really struggling with depression and anxiety. And so, having a gratitude practice is huge. It honestly, it saved me. I was having a really hard time. I was trying to raise a baby. There was really, it was very difficult to focus on the good. And so when you bring in gratitude, a gratitude practice, It's just life-changing because you're able to then shift into what's going right and what's going well and shift out of that emptiness and become aware of what's good in your life because I know that there is something good, at least something good in your life every day, but we just have to bring that into our awareness. Another piece of the present, healing in the present, is becoming... um, becoming into getting back into your body and into your intuition through meditation. Being with a narcissist is going to require you to cut off parts of yourself. You know, we have to split from ourselves, split off parts of ourselves to be able to continue in this kind of relationship. And we're often in fight or flight because we're having to deal with conflict and really crazy behavior. And so, It's so important to get back into the parasympathetic, which is like the rest and restore mode of our bodies and to get back into reality and move out of numbing ourselves into more awareness. It's a big piece of what's going to help for the future as well, because we're getting in tune again with our intuition and that's going to save you because then you'll be attuned to the red flags of the future. So again, being present in the moment could be meditation, it could be getting into your body through exercise, through stretching, through dancing. Um, that's basically the present, and self care is also a big part of the present. Um, finding something, even something really small that brings joy into your life, you know, lunch with someone that is a support, um, eating healthy, drinking a lot of water. Um, lighting a candle that smells really good, you know, just bringing the little things back into your life that bring you some joy. And then the last piece is the future. So big part of the future is becoming aware of the red flags of um, narcissistic people. And because a lot of the times we saw red flags, we just wanted to ignore them because of some goal that we had for this relationship. So, um, I recommend the book, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Surviving a Relationship with a Narcissist by Dr. Ramani Durvasula. And she'll go go through some of the red flags, um, but, you know, real quick. So people that move too fast. um, In women, a lot of times it shows up as hypersexual. Um, People that are very grandiose and entitled people that are manipulative, you know, that make excuses for their behavior, really angry, rageful people, Um, hypersensitive or jealous people, controlling people, people that are emotionally cold, people that are inconsistent and unpredictable. You know, a lot of these things are visible early on. We just have to be attuned to our intuition and be present with these people to really reflect on what they're showing rather than if they like us, if we're good enough. You know, a lot of times people will, will reflect on, like, themselves. They'll be focused on if they're enough versus do I even like this person? So this is all a big part of the healing. So uh,
0: While you were, were discussing uh, the past, the present, and the future, there was one uh, part mm-hmm. when you were talking about uh, the present which had to do with uh, your body – uh, and you know, your, your body holds uh, certain secrets about you and to kind of be in the moment. And for, for me, uh, in part of my healing process, cause I've, I've been in a relationship with one and I also uh, come from one and, mm-hmm. um, before I, 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 uh, I, people don't know this, but I actually got my coaching certification, uh, mm-hmm. from a place in San Francisco, uh, called New Ventures West. And before, uh, mm-hmm. I graduated, uh, they... After my exam, they still wanted me to, to do one thing because they could tell that I was getting flustered in my exam because I had to – it was like a live thing. I had to do uh, an actual, uh, I guess, uh, session with someone uh, in front of mm-hmm. uh, like three instructors. Mm-hmm. And in the process, they, can tell, they, they could tell that when things weren't working in my mind the way it was, that my brain was gone and that I was completely out of the room. So they didn't Mm -hmm. let me graduate at the time. That I had to continue on and I had to go do some somatic work and to figure out what was going on. And one of those things that we figured out was, and I don't know if I told the story on this podcast before, but Mm -hmm. uh, I was sitting in a room with a somatic coach and we were kind of discussing things that were going on in the room and she asked me to be relaxed. And uh, eventually I kind of said, I took like deep breaths and I said, uh, after a little bit, okay, I'm relaxed. And then, uh, we were about to start and then I don't know what came on in my head, but I just said, do you know what? I'm not relaxed. And she, she asked me to explain it. And, um, what happened was I, there was something that was going on with a tilt of my head. And the way my head was, it was turned. And I said, I started just saying like my whole entire life, I've been told, uh, to look a certain way and be a certain way. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've been sucking in my stomach for like 30 something years. And wow. And it took, uh, until that moment, she goes, okay, so what would relax be to you? I go to me being relaxed is as being as fat as I can be. And she goes, be as fat as you can be. And I let myself, <laughs> and I let myself just be, just be fat. Just let my stomach go over the edge of my pants, and like not yeah. care. And yeah. the 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 breath that I had in that moment was the first time I ever breathed um, peacefully in wow. since I was probably because I, I I had like eating disorders in my whole life. Um, Mm. and it was the first time I was able to breathe and it was the first time Mm -hmm. I understood what being present was because Mm -hmm. I was always thinking using my brain and I wasn't letting my body be part of the equation. Mm -hmm. And that got me Mm -hmm. to a point where I I stopped thinking I, I could, I could get myself back into normalcy and not outthink myself anymore. Yeah. So Yeah.
1: That's the. Key. I think you you hit the nail on the head too with that because being raised in a family with someone who's narcissistic or parents that are, it really puts you on edge and you can't breathe. You have to be on alert at all times to protect yourself.
0: Essentially, yes. yes. So. Oh yeah. Th- thank you for to that. Get that into one. your
1: breath. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's huge.
0: So next Huge. we have next we have question uh, four, which is what are the best ways to co-parent uh, to raise a successful, healthy child?
1: I love this question too because that just speaks. I mean, volumes. You know, we we all want to have a child that's successful, healthy, and happy. And oftentimes, you know, I think I have clients, many clients, that feel like well, it's ruined, like, this isn't possible anymore because, you know, my ex is a narcissist. And I, I say to that that, you know, first of all, we have a lot more power that we, than we think we have. You know, even having one healthy adult in your life is enough. So I want it first to first say, like, you're enough. As a parent, you are enough. So then we'll we'll shift into the other piece of it. But basically, it isn't. I don't view it as co-parenting with the narcissist. My view of it is that it's more parallel parenting, which is that you're doing your thing with your child, and when your child is with your ex, they're doing their thing. There isn't much overlap because narcissists like to take the child essentially out of this world and take them into their world it's almost like out of sight, out of mind. Um, so I'd say that continue though, continue to maintain your connection. And it's, it's your right to speak with your child on the phone or to FaceTime when they're with the other parent. But as far as co-parenting, I would show that you're placing, you're, you're putting effort in that. Um, but I wouldn't really call it co-parenting because narcissists don't know how to co-parent and they don't want to co-parent. So that purpose of that is to really take the expectation out of this idea that you can change your narcissist X into co-parenting with you. Now there are tips and ways to help, you know, to have a better relationship as parents Um. And to raise a healthy, happy child. And some of those tips that I could give you now, um, the first one is to work with the narcissist in their narcissism. So work with it, not against it, because you can't really change the narcissist. So one of the best little tips that I've heard, and I love it, and I've tried it myself and it works wonderfully, is compliment, confront, and then compliment again. Because, again, when you're working with the narcissist, you're working with their need for admiration. And um, the best way is a compliment, right? They love compliments. So practice with that one, especially if there's something the narcissist is doing that you don't like. You preface it with a compliment. Again, you, you confront and you give your complaint, and then you end it with a compliment again. Um. Don't tell the child that their parents are narcissists. That is a very bad idea. You never want to call anyone a narcissist. It's just not going to go well. Um so keeping in mind that the way that a narcissist deals with their child and relates with their child is one of the views it's basically the view that the child is an extension of the narcissist. They feel like the children are objects. So they're not viewed as their own being with you know, needs and feelings and desires of their own. It's very much like what you do needs to be good because it's a reflection of me. And they have a really a lot of unfair ways that they deal and relate with the child, but your job as the other healthy parent is to then counteract that by being um, a very loving Empathic, um, calm parent; those things are really important. So you want to be non-reactive. You want to model healthy behavior. So speak really calmly when you're speaking with the other parent. You know, don't fight and confront and everything in front of the child. Um, you want to ignore their threats and don't engage with them within their conflict because what happens is. They want that. The narcissist loves your reaction. It feeds their ego. The worst thing you can do for a narcissist to them is to ignore them. And honestly, that's the best thing for your child, to ignore the threats and don't engage. But if you have to defend yourself, you do it in writing, right? And don't tolerate the abuse, but don't be abusive either, right? And for the child, you're also modeling a lot of these behaviors so that they can also learn how to stand up for themselves. Um, you model this the boundary setting, and um, you speak, you take the traits of the, the parent that, you know, essentially if it's um, a parent that, a narcissistic parent that is super critical, you will talk about that trait with the child and explain how it makes people feel and validate, you know, the child's feelings if they've been that way, right, towards the child. So you really want to hold the space for the child to have their feelings and to validate that because probably more often than not, the narcissist is not validating emotions at all. It's like, don't deal with emotions with me. So you want to be that container that's a safe space for the child to have whatever emotions they have about whatever is happening with their narcissistic parent. Um. And another important one that we would do with children anyway is to teach them emergency protocol, right? So if someone um, is hurting you, someone is hitting you, someone is doing something abusive towards you, what can you do? What's a safe place you can go to? Who can you call, right? So you want to prepare them for these things so that they feel empowered if something does happen when they're with the narcissistic parent.
0: So so you would prepare them, not say that it is the other parent that we're preparing for, just prepare them for right. life in general in that way. Exactly. So, so so then they know how they can have a list of people that they can trust and talk to. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Exactly. Absolutely right.
0: And as far as sorry, continue
1: yeah. I was gonna say there I have links um, in my website under my resources, it's something called the wholehearted parenting manifesto. And that is Brene Brown's uh, manifesto that she's written up. And it's exactly as I would, what I would recommend for parents to use, whether or not it's a narcissistic situation, but even more, because there's so many parts of that, essentially all of it, that the narcissist isn't doing. They're not um, a parent that's embracing imperfections or modeling self-compassion or being vulnerable, or um, being authentic, or setting boundaries, or you know what I mean. There's so many pieces of that manifesto that's I've framed it, you know, and put it up because it's such a beautiful reminder of the kind of parents we all want to be, especially if we're dealing with a narcissistic ex that's also parenting our child, right?
0: Yeah. And and as far as the parent goes, uh, who is dealing with Mm -hmm. the narcissist, um, uh, if they're heavily triggered um, Mm -hmm. by certain things and are not good at uh, talking or uh, interacting after, is there a book like a a nonviolent communication type book or a conversation book where it gives them uh, help uh, with certain situations and people like this so they can learn the language?
1: Actually, yes. Um, Tina Swithin has a book. She has a couple books, but the one that would be in regards to what we're talking about with communication and also understanding what the narcissist is saying, It's, it's called, I believe, Decoding the Narcissist by Tina Swithin. And what she does is essentially say what her ex would say and decode that so that you understand what that really means and it really helps break it down and it helps you detach and not personalize what the narcissists tend to say because they're pretty much, they all say the same thing. They're not very creative people. I'm very well versed with the same sorts of things that they say and the same sorts of ways that they want to trigger you. And so she breaks it down really beautifully in that book.
0: All right. And now we go on to... uh, I'm going to skip question eight, even though I love question eight for right now, just because the next question on the list, um, I think if you have children with a narcissist, how do you protect Mm -hmm. yourself from abuse to maintain a relationship? How do you stop that person from continuing the abuse uh, and... Uh, I guess this is a court question, and convince a yes. court that they are manipulating the children. So I guess it's more of uh, how do you maintain a relationship if you're still being abused when co-parenting?
1: So it's this is really important because you should not accept abuse at all. Um, you set boundaries. You maintain your court order. And then you document. You have everything in writing. You don't, you don't create a situation where you can be abused verbally because you're not speaking with the nurse, narcissist on the phone or in person. Even if you're exchanging your child, it's very much sending messages. I highly encourage parents to use those apps so that it's well documented. Um, they can't deny that that was them. You know, or if it's a text message situation, don't save their number in your phone so the number shows up um, in your messages. And so you'll have it documented, and then you can take it to court if they're still um, being abusive towards you or, you know, harassing you in some way. You have it in writing. But it's, it's important, too, that even if you are fighting with them in court about this, that you... State the facts. You know, you don't get emotional. You calmly present the facts. Um, You remember that essentially it's not about you. It's just their personality and their mental health issue, and it's a representation of them. But you still need to be assertive and strong because they're often aggressive. You know, you don't give up. You don't be passive, but you also don't need to be aggressive. You just be assertive. You keep moving. You keep presenting your info, and the documents that you have and hopefully you have enough in writing that, you know, you could make a change in your um, divorce judgment.
0: And now we have question eight. This is my favorite question because this is a difficult question for a lot Mm -hmm. of parents out there. How do you let Mm -hmm. go of an adult narcissist child?
1: So... This is such a – this one actually, like, made me so sad, you know, because I can't imagine having to let go of a child as a parent. You know, it must be incredibly painful for, you know, the person who wrote this question. So, just wanted to um, send my love to this one because a lot of times, too, what we tend to do even as a culture is that we blame the parents because, you know, it's the parenting or, you know, we blame them. And a lot of times it's really not your fault. Um, Our culture has been creating narcissists, essentially. Um, It's also a choice if your child wants to continue being a narcissist. So I don't want you to blame yourself. We can only do the best we can with, you know, the info we have. But I'd say that it's really important to grieve the child you wanted And don't have. So it's very much a grieving process for the parents, um, but also setting good solid boundaries and maintaining a relationship if you feel that in a way that works for you. So if it's sending them a card for their birthday, because that makes you feel good, do that. You don't have to fully let go if that, you know, is too painful for you. But be mindful of your boundaries because that's really important with children. I think they can really um, press our buttons and we feel guilty. It plays on, you know, our guilt. So set your boundaries and have the kind of relationship that you want to have, even from afar, and grieve, you know, go through those stages of denial, um, bargaining, depression, anger, and accept it, and not even
0: in that order, whatever order it comes in. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. You know, my family um, is, you know, my mom and my dad still are currently speaking to my brother. I'm not currently speaking to my brother at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. But I know my mom, you know, um, she, she, she's a mom. And mm-hmm. she would never, no matter what my brother has has done or is doing, you know, she's, she's locked in. She's not, uh, she's never, I mean, she's never going to uh, let him go Um, even though it might be sometimes the healthiest thing for both of them Mm -hmm. um, for that to happen. that's what I've been trying to explain to her. I think, you know, right now it's probably the best thing um, for you to split up for at least the time being. So you can like relax a little and figure out Mm -hmm. your, what your life and, this person can be on their own and discover things like you're too locked in together. Sometimes I I find, and Mm -hmm. it might be healthier. Is is it healthier sometimes for both of them?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, unfortunately though, it depends again on the level of awareness Mm -hmm. because a lot of times there's a narcissistic child that's really, really on the end of the spectrum and there isn't much that can be said or done. And as a parent, it's, very difficult to, to watch that and to not feel guilty, um, but also have to simultaneously protect yourself. So it's a really tough place to be in.
0: I will tell my mom that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we have a bunch of questions here that look like they, they repeat here. Um, so, uh, let me just get to, uh, where Mm -hmm. is it here? Um, I guess question uh, 16. How do you find the right therapist?
1: Yeah. So this one's such a tough one. And I think it's just as hard finding an attorney too, right? There's a lot of times everyone says that they have experience in certain field and we don't really know. And, and narcissists are very good at, what this this question um, said, which is swooning therapists and aligning with them and manipulating them because they appear so different than what's you know being presented right from from this narcissistic um, abuse victim, so I would recommend asking, and this is sort of the way that I would test a therapist or Um, an attorney even, but I would ask them about what resources they recommend and ask what the symptoms of narcissistic abuse are. Like, how do you know if your partner is a narcissist or not? Um, So first educate yourself and then test their knowledge. And um, I would also want to find someone, especially in this case, of someone who is mindful and well-versed in parental alienation because that's a big piece of what narcissists tend to do. And if this person already has a a therapist that's court-ordered, I would be very mindful of parental alienation because it seems like there's some, some things going on and the fact that this ex is able to swoon the therapist and now it seems like the kid's therapist... I would, you know, go the extra mile and um, have professionals that I would be consulting with um, through either, you know, like, for example, there's a book um, that Dr. Warshock who does parental alienation, he, he wrote the book and he's, he's, you know, accessible. You can email him and he'll give you referrals for therapists who... Are he's worked with and he knows them and refers them personally. So be open, educate yourself, reach out to people Um, with regards to parental alienation too. I have a link on my website called family access. And what they do is they have um, talks once a month and you can listen in and they have professionals who can educate you about, You know, the process, and you can even reach out to those professionals and ask them for referrals for attorneys or therapists. So, really educate yourself, but also be free to feel free to reach out to people who are in the field and ask them for referrals, like personal referrals, Um, because it's unfortunate, but a lot of people don't really understand narcissistic abuse unless they've been there or. They're very well-versed and they've dealt with cases Um, because essentially we don't really learn this in depth and there's almost like a movement of it now where people are becoming more aware of it and they don't teach you this in school and you have to be really aware of who's really the narcissist because they're very good at projecting it onto the, the victim. So I appreciate this question a lot. Very important.
0: And this might be our last question. I'm still trying to go through some of them. This one kind of encapsulates a couple questions, I think, but it's from the an actual adult uh, instead of someone speaking mm-hmm. on behalf of their children, which is, how do I deal with uh, a narcissistic father who emo- emotionally manipulates uh, you and stops you from uh, any productive or dynamic step in your studies or career? How can I deal with mm-hmm. him without arguing or without uh, without fighting or without hurting him and making him understand what is important for me? And I guess this also would be grouped with the other questions about like, I guess, when you're younger, uh, the tools mm-hmm. that you give to a younger child to, uh, mm-hmm. to know what to do.
1: Yeah, so this question sort of took me back a little bit to that question of wanting to change him too, because it sounds like she she or he wants to teach essentially the parent um, and have him make him understand what I want is important for me. And that's really hard. You know, I'd, I'd be mindful of that and understand that maybe you're in a situation where he can't understand. He doesn't care to understand. Um, but I'd also be be aware and I want to be curious, actually, I am curious, of how he stops this person from doing what's productive or taking this step in their careers or their study. How can you empower yourself so that you don't need, um, this, you know, your father's acceptance or their support, you know, um, and how can you create like a shield against their fighting, you know, the fighting or the, the emotional manipulation so that you're not buying into it. Um, and essentially this is also boundaries at its finest in saying, you know, dad, if you speak with me, I'm going, if you speak with me this way, or do say this to me, I'm going to do this, you know? So your first time may be dad, if you are mean to me or are critical of me, I'm not going to talk to you for a week. And then the second step may be, Dad, I won't talk to you for two weeks. And then the third time may be, Dad, I'm I'm really going to have to, like, rethink this relationship and maybe sever our relationship for a while because what you're doing is hurtful. And so those boundaries, there needs to be consequences. That's what boundaries mean. It can't just be um, me complaining over and over and telling you what I need. There needs to be a consequence for The person's behavior and um, you need to really empower yourself to be able to support yourself and maybe not need to explain and have someone understand why something is important for you.
0: And uh, I guess the question before that, so that, that, that's the adult. Uh, for the mm-hmm. child, uh, one of the questions is, uh, very interested uh, how to raise my children uh, with a narcissistic father. How do I teach them to stand up for themselves and not internalize mm-hmm. what they're thinking or feeling?
1: Yeah. So again, the first step to me is to acknowledge the child's feelings and really validate. Because most likely the narcissistic father is not doing that at all. So you really want to have a safe space for the child to, you know, come home and, first of all, detox from that time that they've been with the other parent. So, you know, have a really calm, relaxed sort of um, come back into your home without a lot of stimulation and let them unwind and have the child be able to just like relax a little bit at home, and then. Over time, after you've given them that, like, 24-hour period to get back into the zone and readjust to being with you, you can, you can bring up the characteristics of the father um, that is problematic, that's narcissistic, but not directly the father. So if the father, let's say, again, is um, maybe critical... Critical is a good one because a lot of times narcissists are critical. It's the thought being critical of the child. You want to find others that you can think of that exhibit that behavior. And then you start using that behavior for learning. So you say, you know, when this person on TV says something so mean to that other person on TV, you know, whoever's in the show, that must be really hurtful. I don't like that, you know. That's really unhealthy to be speaking to people that way. It must really hurt their feelings. Depending on the age of the child, you can go more in depth about how that's not okay and teach them other ways. Again, use this, this time for learning, this behavior for learning, so that you're gently guiding your child to learn how to decipher what's healthy and what's not without directly saying, Hey, your dad's a selfish, you know, a hole, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So you want to raise your child with that ability to decipher and learn things on their own, but also model. It's so important for children to to see and have a model of someone who stands up for themselves, whether or not it's with the, the narcissist or someone else. And, um, everyone's smart, educated, no matter, I mean, I was a therapist and I fell for narcissists. So it's like, they're very good at what they do. Mm -hmm. So I don't want this person to, you know, blame themselves. It's just the way that they are. And we have to learn and reprogram ourselves to not be a magnet to that kind of person. And through your healing, you're raising your child in a way that won't, be, you know, attracted to another narcissist because you're modeling what's healthy and what feels good authentically to your child.
0: And, uh, we have maybe a, two more questions or one more question. Um, sure. uh, I, this one, I think more be a little bit straightforward. Uh, if you have a children with a narcissist, uh, is staying together and modeling firm boundary setting a better option for the mm-hmm. children than, uh, I guess, getting a divorce or or not marrying a co parent or or just regular co-parenting with a narcissist?
1: This one was such a tough one for me because I think that when, you know, you're with a narcissist, it's almost like it's miserable, it's horrible. And then you, you divorce one and it's difficult in other ways. So with every choice, you gain something, but you lose something else. And so, yes, maybe this person will continue to be with their children and they can um, be making parenting decisions together jointly, um, but then you'll be losing a model of a healthy relationship potentially for your child. Maybe you'll be depressed and unhappy. Usually if we're with narcissistic people, we tend to have symptoms of depression and anxiety and confusion, hopelessness. And we feel unsettled where, you know, we have, we feel shameful. We feel exhausted. There's, there very much is those symptoms that come with being with a narcissistic person. So, you know, she says, she or he says that the person that they're with is a narcissist, although they're not mean or spiteful, they just refuse to acknowledge a reality in which he could be at fault or responsible for the consequences of his choices. Um, so, that's that's a tough one because the my thought comes the thought that comes to my mind is well maybe this person is just critical I don't know it's hard to tell not critical I'm sorry is just defensive the narcissist that she's claiming is just defensive so I don't I can't speak to that very much but if you are with the narcissist most likely you're having a lot of symptoms that aren't the best for your relationship and probably you're not being your best self. And so that's going to be a loss. Yes, you may share your time again with your child and, you know, with your spouse and you don't have to deal with other things that come with divorce, but it's a give and take, right? Um, I'd encourage this person to be mindful of themselves. And if they're coming off as criticism, sometimes That creates defensiveness with the other person. So, practice again the compliment, confront, compliment thing. But also be mindful of: is is this? You know, I'm just kind of skeptical. I don't know if this person is really with a narcissist or not. Um, But yeah, it's it's a tough tough call to make, and it's a personal choice. So.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I think qu- if, you know, questions eleven through uh, thirteen are uh, redundant. Would you say?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I have numbered them a little bit differently. Okay. But let me pull <laughs> them up real quick.
0: So there's one about money.
1: Oh yeah, the one about money. I actually want to concur about the loan, but do you want to um, ask uh, the okay, question? Okay, so, so
0: we got the question. It is, I recently got out of a relationship with a narcissist in the beginning of February 2019, to be exact. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I loaned this individual money, and while I have made a lot of progress in terms of recovery from everything else that I went through with him, the money is the one thing uh, that I still think about on a daily basis. Everyone that I have yeah. spoken to, including a psychotherapist that specializes in narcissistic abuse, advised me that I need to forget about the money and move on. I would really appreciate if you could ask if there are any tactics, methods, or situations where people have gotten their money back from a narcissist, Mm -hmm. or if it's a complete Mm -hmm. waste of time and energy.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to go with let go and cut your losses because I think this person has invested already enough time and energy and it seems like they've already gone through a lot of progress in their healing and recovery. And so my concern would be that if you're getting back into any kind of relationship or any kind of communication with this person, that's a narcissist, I would be worried that that would set you back and it would take you possibly back in your healing. It might suck you back into that, you know, narcissistic hole um, and so I also would want to spend a little bit of time with you. If I, if I were talking to you as a client, I would want to know what the money represents because it sounds like money, the money maybe means something to you besides just what it is. Maybe it's fairness, maybe it's justice, maybe it's, um, feeling vindicated. I don't know. Maybe it's feeling like at least you got something back. Um, after losing so much with the narcissist. So I would really want to be attentive to what else this could be rather than just money. But if you feel like it's really just about the money, I would let go and cut my losses.
0: Yeah, in my my experience, when there was uh, one little tiny uh, money issue, in my mind, going back and thinking Mm -hmm. about it right now, it would Mm -hmm. be, I'm trying to place myself, I know exactly where I was, Um, uh, it would more be like I want this person to have some sort of consequence. Yes, Uh, that's
1: exactly right.
0: And Mm -hmm. this is what it is, and someone has to see this besides me. And uh, eventually, Mm -hmm. I took the idea of the movie. Do you ever see the movie The Bronx Tale? Uh, No, a Bronx Tale. A long long time ago, it was with Chaz Palminteri and Robert De Niro, and it's a, Mm -hmm. a young guy and he starts working for the mob. And this guy owes him like a hundred bucks, and he mm-hmm. always he starts chasing him. And the, the mobster comes up to him one day. And goes, "Why are you chasing that guy?" And he goes, "He owes me a hundred dollars." And he says to him, "Just look at it this way: you you paid a hundred dollars, and you never have to see this person for the rest of your life."
1: Exactly, and it's any amount of money is honestly worth not being able, not having to see
0: that, that person <laughs> or for deal the rest. Of, <laughs> and that's how I and that's how I feel. I'm like you know yeah. You know, no, it, was, totally. it, it was just, a, it was, in his mind, this was nothing for all the yeah. headaches that you've got, just got rid of.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And the next time around, if you get sucked in, is most likely going to be way worse than the first time because they're going to make you pay for what you did yeah. if you left them or if you slighted them in any way. You're going to pay the second time around. Don't think you got off so easily, right?
0: Exactly. Next time I'm just going to be, you know, it's just going to save you so many Works. headaches. Yes. So of these other two, um, do you, uh, should we, uh, yeah.
1: should we pick yeah. one of these? Um, I think um, I recently got out of an emotionally abusive relationship two months ago you want to talk about that
0: one? I just recently got out of an emotionally abusive relationship two months ago. I recently, a few weeks ago, found out he already met someone new and married them. I feel Mm -hmm. like healing again from scratch. And not only do I feel so broken, but I'm a smart girl and I hate myself for being so blind to the signs. What can I do to heal?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, this is very, very typical narcissistic abuse behavior, right? They discard... And they're all about what they can get out of you. And when they think that there's nothing else left that you can give them, they're done and um, they discard you, right? And things often don't end in a pleasant way with them. They don't. It's hard to process this discard in like a humane way because you spent years and years with this person and then they're just done. Or, you, you know, it's almost like just done. And that's really painful. Of course, it's going to feel like, you know, complete nightmare to have to deal with. And then you find out that he's found someone else and married them. And um, that's very painful. Um, so it it's absolutely going to feel like you're healing from scratch again. But I want you to know that the relationship was really never about you. And although that hurts, I want you to, like, validate your pain and honor your pain It sounds like you're judging your pain a little bit and you're judging the fact that you were, quote, blind to the signs, but it's really important to be compassionate and be um, validate yourself, almost like talk to yourself like you would a child and say, look, I really understand why you really wanted this to work out and it's okay that you missed the signs. You won't miss them next time. And just be really empathic with yourself. Because this is very much a narcissist move. This is why they don't care to listen to people's you know, grievances when they're in a relationship with them. They don't take responsibility. They don't want to work towards resolutions. Um, they don't want to amend their behavior. They just really want you to stay asleep and feed their ego. And when you um, say that they're doing something wrong or that you're, that you're being hurt by them, they don't like that. They want you to, they don't want you to assert your needs. They don't want you to have boundaries or rights. They just want you to keep going and doing what they want and feeding their ego. And so when you stop doing that, they discard you and then they move on to someone else who probably doesn't know what they're doing because they're very much in their charm mode and they want to hook this person. Um, and they're on their best behavior, but know that they'll probably do this again and again and again because this is just how they roll. So take out that judgment piece of yourself. Practice compassionate understanding and validate your pain. And um, I'm sorry. Sorry about that.
0: And I think we have one more question. It's it's uh, it's a long question. Well, it's a short question, but it's a long question. Uh, I guess background. Do you want to do that one? Mm -hmm. It's it's again also kind of our step for change. Uh yeah, question? go ahead. Okay, so uh, can a narcissist ever change is the question. And then the background is, is it worth sticking around in hopes uh, we will be better? In my case, uh, he volunteered to seek help and start therapy. He did for, uh, first few sessions and he feels it's helping him out, but recently stopped because the insurance is no longer, no longer recovering at 100%. He was going to deal with his insecurities and because he knew the way he talked to me during arguments was unkind and manipulative. I recently found him sexting another woman. He doesn't seem remorseful, even though he has apologized and says he wants to work on our marriage. Yet he continues to say what he did isn't so bad. He isn't willing to have me look at his phone or to compromise in other areas of our marriage that I feel need changing. Thank you for your help.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. So um, authentic remorse, unfortunately, doesn't happen with narcissists. There's almost always a self-serving agenda And when they volunteer for therapy, I'm almost like a little skeptical because they really only do things that are self-serving. And so when he says he wants to work on the marriage, but there isn't action, what I take away from that is that narcissists very much have, their, their feelings and their opinions and their desires are very fleeting and their choices are very fleeting. And so when he says that he's, wanting to change and he's going to work on things, but then you don't see any follow through, I really wouldn't expect much change to happen, unfortunately. I, If you want to stay in this marriage, I encourage you to work on your expectations. Um, expect that he maybe won't be remorseful. He won't be reasonable. He won't be compromising in the ways that you would envision your partner, that you'd expect your partner to be in a healthy marriage. Um, And so having a partner, A, that's not willing to go to therapy, not be authentic, um, not take steps towards um, regaining your trust, it's really hard to have a healthy relationship. And that change that you want to see, I feel like what tends to happen is we expect that change and we want it, um, but then it's very fleeting, you know, he'll promise you the change, but the next moment he'll take it back, you know? So for example, with my ex, you know, one day he was sitting on the couch telling me he wants to work on things. And literally a week later he was gone and it was done. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can't really rely on what they're saying to be truth, especially when the actions don't line up and it's inconsistent. So, I'm sorry, again, that you're going through that, but, um, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate, but I encourage you to still, to get your own therapy, to learn how to manage your expectations if you want to stay in that kind of, in the relationship with him.
0: And I think that's all of the questions. Um, There was another one, uh, would you suggest a toolkit to help the survivor begin the deprogramming from the narcissistic abuse? But I think that uh, ties in with uh, an earlier question of like, I guess, the three tips. Yes. Yes. That's
1: the past, present, and future. future. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm.
0: So I guess, you know, we're at about an hour and uh, 13 minutes. I know uh, we both have uh, some things to do. Plus, we we finished the list. Uh, And I really want to thank you for being a rock star today. Uh, because oh, e- everyone you. else who doesn't know this, I screwed up the time, uh, and uh, you were kind enough to uh, no to, to uh, work things out with me. Um, and you, on, your your answers today were uh, amazing. They're so clear uh, for everyone. Uh, hopefully, who's listening to understand uh, all the questions, and hopefully you'll come on the show again. Uh, yeah, I like, love a, that. A whole a whole round of questions. Uh, the people yeah, who,
1: be awesome.
0: and the, for the people who had uh the the legal questions I have a lawyer coming on in a couple weeks um awesome and uh this person uh well i, I can 't go actually into detail about uh what the you know i've uh that person just kind of wants to uh, be anonymous even though that they're uh, oh. Oh, uh, like a well to do lawyer um, oh
1: very nice uh,
0: but um for everyone who's listening uh, once again uh talk with uh, sorry with uh, is uh talk with dot com you can uh, get a hold of Shireen there for her services uh for uh, therapy and and coaching you do
1: online as well in person i do yes, I do virtual coaching. Um, through internet, through, like, video or phone therapy. Um, and then I also do, obviously, in person if you're Los Angeles. And there's a lot of good resources on the page. So if you'd like to, you know, search there for good books or other professionals that you can link up with, like Family Access or um, Bill Eddy has a, a great list of books that have really amazing help, helpful tips Um Um, I have that link in my resources section, so feel free to go through that. Or if anyone has any questions or I could be of assistance, feel free to send me an email.
0: And what what would your email address be, or do you want to just have people go to your website?
1: It's shirin at talkwithshirin.com. Okay.
0: Okay. And, uh, as well, uh, her Instagram is at let's underscore talk underscore divorce and her Facebook is facebook.com slash talks with Shireen. And uh, also for everyone listening, um, I created a Reddit, a subreddit page, uh, today, uh, which is, uh. I guess r slash narcissist uh, apocalypse on uh, Reddit. So I will post uh, once the show is up, I will post the show so people can discuss the show and uh, talk about uh, certain things there. I'll also leave up all of Shireen's uh, information on uh, that site and ways to uh, talk to her so we can discuss everything that was discussed on the show today. Um, and thank again,
1: thank
0: you so much. Uh, no, honestly, thank you. This has been mm-hmm. a great show and, uh, For everyone listening, uh, one more time, thank you, Shireen, from the bottom of my heart for being a part of the show today.
1: My pleasure. I look forward to doing it again with you soon.
0: And once again, a big thank you to Shireen Picard for being here with us. And if you have not been to our website recently and want to be a guest on our show, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. You click on that button, it takes you to the instructions of our show. You can either then send us an email through our guest form page or send us an email through narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com. And please do read the instructions. So go to narcissistapocalypse.com, click on that guest form button, and we cannot wait to hear from you. And also at narcissistapocalypse.com, we have at the top of the page a support page button for our support group so if you want to go to our support group it's our very own safe social network and there are forum boards we have zoom meetings every wednesday night saturday night and every other thursday afternoon for you people that cannot do night times or you're in europe and we also have in there we have closure ceremonies we have new moon ceremonies we have uh, full moon ceremonies. We have all these types of ceremonies for closure and new beginnings. We have episodes that have never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes. And if you just want to support our show, please do join our support group. So go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, press that support group button. And if you need even more support, go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. Because DomesticShelters.org offers you an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are experiencing, and they can connect you with local resources, and they can help you find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource. So once again, thank you from myself and Shireen Picar. We hope you have a good night.